We're in a series called This is the Church. And I hope uh, last week, if you were here, that was a blessing to you to be reminded for some, to be instructed for others that you, us, we are the church. Not this building, not some organizational structure, but the people of God born again by the grace and by the blood of Christ being shed for us on that cross and his resurrection, we, having received Christ, are the church. That's the first and foremost thing that we need to remember as a church. Now today we want to talk about leadership. And if you go to any bookstore, you remember that when you go to a bookstore and you look at books and you go, oh, this is good, I want them all. I don't know about you, but that's the way I feel when I go into a bookstore, just love them. You can go to a section on leadership, and there are literally hundreds of books on leadership. And they're all fascinating, but they all come from different perspectives. And today, we want to look at leadership from a biblical perspective, especially in uh, in, with the mindset of what does it mean in the church. Uh, There's a guy named John C. Maxwell, used to be a pastor for many, many years. I think he said it so powerfully when he said, everything rises or falls on leadership. Do you agree with that? You get that? Uh, I mean, even in your work world, I'm sure that you have uh, seen, been under uh, some great leaders. And then you've been under some poor leaders and you much prefer the great leaders. And there are certain qualities that great leadership brings with it, uh, distinctives that great leadership brings with it. And so we wanna look though at today, the leadership that God has designed for his church. And I and so many others in the church would emphatically agree, more importantly, the Bible is crystal clear on the subject of leadership, of how important godly called leadership is. When you look at the life of Jesus, you will see that his life is a masterclass in what it means to be a confident, kind, caring, God-focused leader. So let me just state it very clear. Mature, godly called leadership is critical when it comes to the church, the teaching of God's word, the spiritual care, and the moving of the mission of his church, us moving it forward. That's where we stand on what we think about how important leadership is. So there, out of that, maybe there comes a few questions for you. And questions that came to my mind, one of them was, so that if leadership is so critical, What leadership structure has God given, provided for his precious church? How's it supposed to work? Who has God actually called to lead the church? And that's the question for today. And at that point, let us just stop, ask God to really guide our thoughts and our our thinking here, and uh, encourage us in what he's already prepared for us. Father, thank you for this day. I thank you for all the prayers that have come already. Uh, I pray for those who are watching us via live stream. God, would you bless their hearts with uh, the truth, the teaching from your word today? Would you allow them to sense their being a part of this local church 
through this medium called live stream. Would you allow them to come and join us in person when the opportunity arises? They might be blessed with the relationships that are in this room. We also pray for uh, those around the world who are worshiping. I, I pray that as they open your word, that their hearts would be blessed and encouraged, especially for those Christians who are suffering and struggling in Ukraine. That even today, there are Christians who want to worship you and will do their very best to take, uh, find a space and find time to lift up songs and be in the word and worship you. Keep them safe, end this war, uh, and uh, we pray that peace will reign around the world. But we know that's not going to be for a while, but we do know one day when Jesus returns, there will be peace and we look forward to his return. So thank you for this time in this space now for your word in Jesus' name, amen. All right, first of all, we have to do a little, little backup here. First of all, we wanna note that when it comes to leadership, that Christ is the head of the church, okay? Let's get that settled in our hearts. And in Ephesians chapter five, uh, at the end of verse 23, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Paul tells us that Jesus is the head. So the real leader in our church is Jesus, first and foremost. Secondly, we want to understand that of a doctrine called the priesthood of all believers. This is really an important doctrine that we must know, understand, and recognize that all of us in this room are priests. And as a priest as such, guess what? That means that we are almost, <laughs> almost leaders. Aren't priests leaders? So all of us in this room are priests. Uh, the scriptures are very clear about that. It says in 1 Peter 2, 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So all of us who know Jesus Christ personally have received him as Lord and Savior, we are priests and therefore we are, you're almost there, you almost got that. Let me try that one more time. We are all priests in Christ and therefore we are all? Leaders. Excellent, good, good, we're, we're well underway here. It's important for us to know this because uh, everything rises and falls on leadership. We believe that. And therefore, if we understand who we are in Christ's economy uh, as the church, when we understand we're leaders, that means what? Can we just sit around and do nothing for the sake of Christ, for his kingdom? No. Third thing, there's a number of key scriptures that I'd love you to look at, and I hope you have your water-cooled jet pens writing this morning. We've got a lot of scripture, a lot of thoughts going on here. But here's some scriptures that I want you to know, and they're on the screen. 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. You'll want to know this section of scripture. 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 20. Titus, as we're reading this morning and going through Titus, 1, 5 to 9 particularly, James 5, 14 and 15, and 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4. If you'd write those down, read those scriptures throughout the week, those are the key scriptures when it comes to local church leadership structure that God has put in place, not man, God has put in place. 
But today, let's focus on Titus 1, verses 5 to 9, particularly 5, 6, and 7. What's the background of the letter, uh, the epistle, the letter of Paul to Titus? Uh, not many of us probably have read this little scripture in a while. Uh, who is Titus? Who is this guy? Well, first of all, we know that Titus was a Gentile, and we can see that in Galatians 2.3, and he came to faith in Jesus. And sometime after his salvation, um, he went and began to serve as a leader in the town of Corinth, the big city of Corinth. Titus and Paul eventually got together, and they connected in Philippi, and uh, uh, Titus gave a report of how things were going in Corinth. This is where, actually, Paul gave his second uh, uh, letter to the Corinthian church, gave it to Titus, who took it back to the church for everyone to read. So we see Paul as a mentor in Titus's life. We see, uh, throughout scripture, we see that Paul lifted Titus up in relationship so that he could become a mature leader where he was serving. What was the particular task that Titus had in Titus chapter 1? Some years later, Paul, on a missionary journey that we don't know when it was, we think it was probably after his um, second journey, uh, missions journey, uh, Paul took Titus to the island of Crete. Now, the island of Crete is the largest in the island chains of um, Greece, and it's still the island of Crete today, a great place to go on holidays, I hear. Nice and warm and all that. But back then, it wasn't such a great place to go. I don't know today, but I've heard it's lovely. I don't know how much of the island really knows Christ today, but back then, this little island, or the largest island, really got to know Jesus. And uh, they got to know Jesus because some of the islanders were there in Acts chapter 2 where Christ was preached and they took Christ back to the island and began to see it grow in faith. But Paul gave Titus a very specific task. The task was verse 5. Put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town. So as we understand Paul's journey and visit to the island of Crete, it sounds like they didn't get everything finished. And Paul said to Titus, I want you to finish some very important aspects of developing the church here on the island of Crete. <coughs> you know... Uh, Churches don't develop overnight, do they? They grow. They're just like us as individuals. We take time to grow and mature. And this church and these churches on the island needed time to be taught, to grow, and to mature. And so the task for Titus was twofold. One, it was to be an organizer of the churches on the island. But two, was to be a troubleshooter for the churches on the island. Organize and troubleshoot. And as a matter of fact, in the original language of Paul saying, go to the island, it was, uh, the original language gives it a sense of <clears throat> being temporary. It wasn't that he was going to be there forever, but that he would go get the things straightened out, what was left unfinished, as, as Paul says, to set in order. So he wanted them to get their leadership structure in order so that they could grow and be healthy. 
Now, in some ways this morning I thought, oh, this is going to just sound like a lecture. It's going to sound like we're in a seminary class or something and we're just going through. Well, sometimes we just have to go through these things to get things right. And so uh, if you're writing, great, but uh, if, if you don't have your pen, you can come back to it on our, uh, our blog, our, our YouTube, whatever. You can capture, capture this again. So let's go back. Titus was specifically instructed to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Well, first of all, and notice that word, that phrase, as I directed you. So Titus's role on the island of Crete was an apostolically appointed job. This wasn't just something that he thought would be good to do uh, or was directed by someone who uh, had no authority. Paul was saying, by the authority that God has given me, I want you to go in my place and set things in order to appoint elders in every town. It's kind of the same language that Jesus used when he said in Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Jesus is the great one who sets all of us over something to do. Believe me, right now I want you to know God has given you something to do. He has set you over something. Do you know what that is? Have you asked them? What is that particular, specific, most important thing that you have given to me, Lord, as a Christian? There are some things that you know for sure. The Great Commission, Matthew 28. God has called upon each one of us to go and tell the good news. Are you telling the good news? Are you sharing it? Yes, with your life, but also with your words. Again, as you've heard me say before, our faith is not a private faith. Our faith, we're called upon to have a public faith, to share with people what God has done for us. And that's what he's doing here. He is telling uh, this good man, this follower of Christ, to go set things in order so that the church can do what they're called to do in every town. It's interesting. Uh, We're going to talk about... um, what it means to be a member of a local church. I want to let you know right here, just a, a quick note, that how do you know uh, who's in a local church? If he's to go to every town, how does he know what, what's the church here? Well, because they meet together, they know each other, they must have some membership designations. They have to be born again. So when we get to this, remember, I I thought this was interesting, to go to every town and set the local churches in order. Secondly, the big point secondly is, what are the key passages describing the local church being led by elders? Well, if you look throughout the scripture, the word elder, usually it often means older person. And so if you call me an elder, I know what you're saying. I know. I am an elder, but I know what you're saying. Like Luke 15, 25 describes the older son, the elder son, uh, in comparison to the prodigal son. You remember that scripture? 1 Timothy 5, um, when he uh, tells us not to sharply rebuke an older man, an elder. So we need to be uh, respectful to those who are older. Yet... In the scripture, there's a completely different eldership spoken of, and it it does begin in the Old Testament. We get principles there, and we won't go into the Old Testament today. 
but it does give us principles uh, of men who are called to serve as leaders over Israel. And then we come to the New Testament, to the new church. Remember, this, this is not long after Christ has left that all these young churches have been formed and they're, some of them are really struggling with how do we do life as a connected community? Because that's what the church is called to do. As I've said many times, you as a Christian were never called to isolation. You were never called to do life in Christ on your own. You were called to do it with the church, the local church. And so we can find scriptures that talk about um, elders serving the church, the local church, Acts 11, 29 to 30. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea, the church is there. Uh, this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. <clears throat> How about uh, Acts fifteen twenty two? Still describing a structure here that then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Again, the structure of the church, the local church, uh, the leadership always should have men who are elders. Acts 16, 4, as they traveled from town to town, they did delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. Again, another scripture just reminding us of the place and the importance of these leaders called elders. As a matter of fact, the New Testament uses four words to describe or paint the picture of a godly leading man uh, in the church, one is elders or elder. Presbyteros is the original language. It really is uh, talking about one who is mature and models the faith. So elders, your leaders, should be mature and model the faith. Model the faith after Christ, obviously. Second one is overseer. And uh, in the original language, that is episkopos. You'll get episcopalian out of that and uh, really has the sense of uh, uh, the leader who is caring for others leader is caring for how about the one that we all like and know very well the shepherd get that image uh, that's the original language Greek is poimen to shepherd again who cares for the needs of others spiritually who cares for the needs of others and the last one is ruler, hegemai. It's the idea of ruling or governing. It's still used, but not as much as the other ones. As a matter of fact, if you look in our passage today, uh, we see that um, elder and overseer are used, and they're switched. They're interchangeable. Uh, where elder seems to stress the qualifications for the leader, overseer stresses the responsibility of the leader. Look at pastor, uh, uh, verse 5. Verse 5. I move my glasses here. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town. Then move down to verse 7. For an overseer, same person, different name for the same person. Okay, third. What are the primary responsibilities of local church 
elders. This is important. If God has given us these men to, to lead us, to teach us, what do, we, what do we know about all that they're supposed to do? Let me give you six things that elders are supposed to do. What we, as your elders here, are supposed to do. One is model Christianity and model it the maturity uh, that should be found in our Christian faith. It says in 1 Peter, one of the passages, 5.3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Second is shepherd the sheep. Be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care, 1 Peter 5.2 says. Third, feed the flock. I don't know about you, but I'm a, I'm a hungry sheep. I want, I want God's word, and I, I'll eat it up. And uh, much of my time, if I go online, is centered around finding sites that are really good about teaching God's word. I still, every day, have a hunger to learn. Like it says in 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So feed the, fo- the flock. Another one is refute the rebellious. There's many out there, and maybe even some in this room, who struggle with God and his word, struggle with, uh, uh, you know, following as a sheep should follow. And it says in Titus 1.9, so that they may be able to give instruction in good doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So elders are here to protect the doctrine, to protect the beliefs and the truths of God's word. Not that we need to do that, but God helps us to communicate truth. Third, or fifth is manage church matters. 1 Timothy 3.5. If someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for, the, for God's church? Can't manage your own household. How will you manage the household of God? Really important. Last responsibility I want to highlight today is intercede for the flock. And James 5, we all probably know immediately where we're going here. It says in verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So the elders give that spiritual care for those who are not well. Importantly, of all these Scriptures, I want to make this note. I want to make sure that we get this. The scriptures teach that these men who lead are to be servant leaders. Big difference than the world teaches. If you're out in the world and you look for leadership, you see uh, a lot of leaders who say, oh, I'll help you get it done, but it's about me. It's about, you know, you feed me and I'll, I'll lead you. Here in the church, it's about the leaders saying, we are here for you. We need nothing except to serve God by serving you. Leadership is about being servant leaders. So in all this that I've said so far, let's remember three principles. One is uh, eldership is about the local church. It's local. Leaders who are rooted in the local church. Not leaders who come and go, but leaders who are within that fellowship designed to help that group of faithful Christians 
to move forward. Secondly, it's about plurality. God never wanted us to do it alone as leaders. He wants us to have plurality, multiple elders, so that uh, the scripture says there is wisdom in the counsel of many. And so having more than one elder, several elders, and as we'll talk about this later, some who are um, given solely to the task of leading as an elder, such as myself, and others, like Pastor Rob, our Pastor Emeritus, and others who are volunteering to lead us as elders. Pastor, elder, same person. And follow, uh, thirdly, uh, it's important principle, qualified. Men who serve as elders must have qualifications that fall in alignment with God's word. So I want to take you back. Got your Bibles? Hope you all bring your Bibles every week. As you open your Bible, let's turn back to Titus, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. If anyone is above reproach, the, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. That's the, that's the description of what an elder should not be. And we're going to stay with that today. Uh, this is, it turned out to be a, a two-week sermon on eldership. I just, I'm going to run out of time, so we're going to do the, the positive side next week. But let's look at some of these qualifications because what we read here is most of the qualifications involve character and not skills. Character is critical. A character that reflects Jesus Christ and all his glory and his, his wonderful care. That's what an elder should do. What we read is about what elders are not so much what we do. This is <clears throat> more of a character description rather than a job description, you know? It was pretty important when Paul said, go and set things in order, because the island of Crete historically at this time had a culture that um, it was very corrupt. So many bad things going on. The historical documentation of uh, the people of Crete was pretty ugly. And so uh, Paul says, go set things in order, and he's given young Titus uh, the personal family qualifications of an elder. First of all, he said they have to be above reproach. Above reproach, verse 6. Uh, in some of your translations, it might say blameless. Okay? Blameless. It's an important quality, so much so that it's repeated again in verse 7. And it doesn't give the expectation that an elder must be completely flawless and perfect. And if that's the case, I should step right down and sit there and just be a part of the congregation, not an elder. Because perfection is never going to happen. Jesus is perfect. We are just saved by grace and growing by the grace of God. But we seek to live a life that, fo uh, that follows these qualifications, uh, one above reproach, without blame, unquestionable integrity. That's what your elder should have. What really stands out as a leader, in a leader, is that their walk with God is clearly seen in their knowing Christ and his word and demonstrating that 
consist, the, this consistency in how they live out their faith each day. You look at them, you know that what you see is what you get in their claims for being a follower of Christ. That's what an elder should be. And it's not an optional quality. It has to be. <clears throat> Stuart Briscoe is a wonderful pastor. I think Stuart's gone to be with the Lord, if I'm correct. Um, yeah, I'm not 100% sure. Sorry, Stuart, if you're still with us. But as a pastor and a writer of uh, books about the scriptures, he said this, and it means a lot to me, the only leader worth following is the leader who is following Christ. Did you catch that? The only leader worth following is a leader who is following Christ. And that leader who is following Christ, no, he's not perfect, but he certainly is demonstrating growth in the character qualities that resemble and reflect Jesus. Do you remember Enoch in the Old Testament? Enoch didn't die. It says that he went to be with the Lord, but before he went, it says Enoch walked with God. Isn't that a description you would like to have on your gravestone? I know that I would. Simple as that. Alan walked with God. Because that's where we need to be. Now, by the way, some of you are thinking right now, what about deacons? And uh, deacons are also held to these standards, these quali qualifications. We'll look at that another day. First Timothy 3, look in there, verse 10. Uh, we just want to mention two things, two distinctions. Deacons were called upon to give practical care. So when the widows and the orphans weren't being held, uh, weren't being uh, looked after in the early church, uh, the apostles uh, didn't want to be set aside from doing the ministry of teaching and preaching, so they instituted this leadership structure called deacons. And deacons are to give those practical th uh, help. You know, if, you, if, if you're struggling with something practical in your life, call the church and we'll get a deacon to help you out as best we can, as much as we can. But the second thing I want you to note is elders were to be the main teaching leaders to the church as a whole. Back in 1 Timothy, you'll see in verse 2, that it, the difference between the qualifications of a deacon and an elder is that elders were to be able and apt to teach. That's their key significant role. Okay, so above approach. Secondly, we see here in verse 6 that they're to be a husband of one wife. Husband of one wife. If the elder's married, uh, this characteristic should be self-evident. And the original language is so wonderful. Uh, you know, if you ever want to do something for fun, learn Greek. Original koine, biblical Greek. I know you think that's just crazy to say it's fun, but it is. Because the original language actually says the elder is to be a one-woman man. Isn't that great? Husband of one wife. One-woman Man. It makes it very clear that their life with their wife is about uh, honoring her with faithfulness and truth and trueness to her. And why was this important in the island of Crete? Because their culture was a wicked culture. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> you would see in the island of Crete that uh, immorality was rampant. Uh, in the Roman world, it was very common for uh, many men, especially wealthy men, to have relations with their servants, uh, to have relations with temple prostitutes, and with their wife. 
And uh, Paul is saying, if you're a Christian man now, you need to be a one woman man. Also, a couple other things, uh, clear teaching of scripture is here that elders are to be men. We'll talk about that other days, but uh, God has given the role and the, the responsibility for godly men to lead the church. Secondly, God's standard, uh, again, is a one man, one woman for life in monogamous relationship of marriage. You know, we live in a, a society that marriages are throwaway. How many times have you heard in the last little while of a couple who have been married for a very short time, six months, a year, two, three years even, and it's done? And God says, so marriage is a holy institution. Honor it as such. Husband of one wife. Thirdly, uh, and his children are believers. An elder must be above reproach in marriage and his parenting. This hits home a little bit for many of you, children, and uh, both young and older. Uh, I want to let you know that uh, I'm speaking to the men, fathers, men. It is our responsibility to lead our children and our families in faith. We cannot leave it up to our beloved wives alone. We lead together, but we lead. We lead by the character traits of Jesus being seen in our family, being heard on our lips, and being encouraged by our teaching to our children. We need to get active in our own faith and our children's faith development. I want to encourage you today. Men, if you believe that, would you say amen? Good. We're together on that. And elders' children, it tells us here, must not only believe, but be open to the, uh, not open to the charge of debauchery uh, or insubordination. Uh, we don't use that word a lot nowadays, do we? Debauchery. It's a word used to describe reckless behavior. It gives me, again, that image of the prodigal son who went off into a far land and lived his life loosely, really, with debauchery. He chose to live his life any way they can. And so uh, God is saying we need to raise our kids to live their lives in light and by God's standards. It also says insubordination, a word used to describe horses that would not tolerate their yokers or soldiers who would not keep their ranks. It's really talking about disobedient children who are unwilling to bow to parental authority. And I want to give you two qualifying statements here so that you do not get discouraged because sometimes our children will not follow our lead. That's just the way it is. One is we don't, none of us have perfect children. One of my ch children are here today and some grandchildren, and I think they're perfect. You know that, don't you? You know your grandchildren are perfect, those little dears. The reality is, no. None of our children, none of our grandchildren or great-grandchildren are perfect. We, too, must allow them to process their faith as they discover their place in God's family, which reminds me we need to be praying. If we're not praying for our kids every day, we're letting them down. If we're not praying for our grandchildren every day, we're letting them down. Because that's the only weapon we really have next to them seeing God in us is prayer. So let me encourage you, pray 
for your kids, for your grandchildren. So here we see how important our leadership is in the life of our children. And I think true training ground for elders is in our home. It begins in our home. As a matter of fact, John Corson, a pastor, wrote this, true ministry may one day extend beyond your family, but not before it is established within your family. Let me repeat that one more time. True ministry may one day extend beyond your family, but not before it is established within your family. Men, and I know we're picking on you today, but men, let us establish ourselves as godly, faithful, competent leaders in our home so that God can usually use you as faithful, godly, competent leaders in the church. So those are the personal qualifications with regards, with regards to our family. But what about the personal qualifications with regard to the community around? He talks to that starting in verse 7. Look at verse 7 of Titus. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. And I wanted you to note, first of all, the, as God's steward. What is a steward? We don't use that word very often to do today. Uh, the concept of stewardship was used of the one who cared for all the family, the, the family members, the finances, the crops, and other servants. Stewardship is caring for what God has placed in your hands, in your care. So elders, as such, are stewards. No, they don't own anything within the church or the church family, but they are entrusted with a church family to care for, to love, to spiritually lift up, nourish, and help the family of God to accomplish the mission of God. That's what elders are to do, to steward God's family. Not only that, they're to be faithful most important quality is faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful. That's what Jesus calls all of us to do, and even more so for us as elders, leaders of the church, because one day we will be held to a greater accountability for what God has placed in our stewardship. Next, notice in chapter, uh, verse 7 as well, the second part. He must not be arrogant. Interesting, isn't it? An elder is not to be arrogant. What does that mean here? Simply, it means mustn't be bossy. An arrogance that shows a domineering mindset. A domineering whose uh, love is not for others, but it's about themselves. You ever met somebody like that? It's all about me? Yeah. Not too fun to be around for very long. So he must not be arrogant. Not only that, it says he must not be quick-tempered. And it's interesting, as I said, Greek language is fun. Um, there, the Greek language has a, a way to give some specificity to the word that we see in English. In the Greek language, there are multiple words that talk about anger. One is thumos. And that's an anger that quickly 
uh, blazes up and then it's gone. You know when you, you light straws? I don't know if you did this, anybody, but <clears throat> when I was a kid, I went out into the field with some of my friends. We had some straw and we lit it. We thought, this is fun. Could have burned down all the houses around us. But fortunately, we used some really straw-like material and it went poof and it was gone. That's thumos. And that happens on occasion. But this word here is orgilios, and it's used here uh, where a person's anger is always there, and it's burning beneath the surface. Uh, it's, uh, It's a wrath which keeps on burning. They're just an angry spirited person, and you've met people like that, haven't you? You know, you're just saying they're always angry, you know, and you hope that never is said about you. But that's what's happening here. An elder must not be quick-tempered and let it burn and and keep on burning. Uh, Somebody said temper is such a wonderful thing that it's a shame to lose it. And it's so true. (laughs) Temper is such a wonderful thing, it's a shame to lose it. We just need to let Christ rule our emotions, especially as elders in the era of anger, because things come up which cause you frustration, and you mustn't, as an elder, let it burn and, and just keep on going in, inside your heart. Anger. Um, a lot of warnings in Scripture. How about Proverbs 29, 22, if you're writing some things down here. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression, or in other words, much sin. Anger and sin go hand in hand. Uh, Proverbs fourteen twenty nine. it says, uh, the first one was Proverbs 29, 22, 14, 29, next, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. Isn't that true? Proverbs are wonderful truths. They just, they clarify things so nicely. When you're Slow to anger, it means that you're taking time to work through whatever's causing you frustration. And once you do that, you probably come to a better conclusion with regards to that issue. Also, uh, another uh, thing that uh, an elder must not be is a drunkard. I find this a funny word, drunkard. Because it brings to me a picture of someone stumbling through life and having no control and they are, they are captured by alcohol, by uh, whatever. Uh, and it's almost hilarious. But the, ru- the truth of the matter, it's not funny. Someone who cannot be controlled, who is not controlling their life but allowing something else to control their life, that's not funny. And here the word, the original language, uh, is a picture of a man who always has a wineskin or a bottle with him. They can't let it go. They live their life under the influence of that drink. And it was important historically on the island of Crete uh, for the leader to avoid drunkenness because his behavior could be uh, confused with going to, t- to uh, the pagan temples, uh, the temple of Dionysus. And there, one of the uh, things you would do in worship was to get just bl- blotto, drunk, and worship this pagan false goddess. And this was widely practiced. So the leaders there and, and, and Paul and Titus are saying, that can't be in the life of a Christian leader. That can't... That kind of demonstration of lack of control is only saying, oh, do you really worship God 
or do you worship Dionysus? So they said, can't, can't live your way that way. The next one is uh, violent. Not a drunkard, not violent. That uh, means to not be a striker or fighter. Literally, it says, hey, stop punching. As a matter of fact, even goes further. It says about having a spirit, uh, and it's seen in the violence of your speech. You're argumentative. There's somebody, uh, there's several people I know, all they want to do is argue with you. You say black, they say white. You say this about the scriptures, and they will argue the other way. And so an elder is not to be argumentative. They are be, to be kind, considerate. They are to teach truth in a kind and considerate manner. Another thing, not pursuing dishonest gain. Quite a list, eh? It says, uh, greedy for gain. Historically, the Cretans, again, were notorious uh, for being fond of ill-gotten gains, sordid gains. One of the historians, a Roman named uh, Polybius said this, they are so given to making gain in disgraceful and inquisitive ways that among the Cretans alone, of all men, no gain is counted disgraceful. Whatever way you can get it, get it. Because that shows that you're uh, quite the person. But that's not what it's supposed to be about for those who are in the church and those especially who lead the church. Look at verse 11, Titus 1.11. Titus 1.11, uh, Paul is uh, talking just a little bit about this. And he says, they must be silenced. Talking about false teachers. Since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And believe it or not, that's still happening today. Still happening today in churches around the globe that false teachers are teaching things not for the glory of God, but for gain. It's hard to say that because I can't even imagine being an elder and being a, a leader and seeking personal gain, but it's happening. And so uh, Titus is sent to set this in straight. I'm here to to remind you, be careful of who you listen to as supposed teachers of God. Make sure that their teaching is truly from God's word and that it is not going to end up bringing them personal gain. Now, let me just say this. It's all right for a, a man or a woman of God who is writing about God's word to write a book and to receive gain. Most of those people who do that will say this is not about the money. It is about teaching people about God and his glory, helping people to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And yes, putting that out there brings gain, but so many wonderful stories of these people who use that gain for God's good. That's what we want to hear, not for personal good. All right. Okay. <clears throat> today, that's it. Those are all the, that's the list for today. It includes a bunch of vices to avoid. Next week, I want to look at some virtues, some really exciting virtues that elders are to emulate. But now let's just close by this. What are the implications and application for this passage, this couple of verses? I want to give you five applications that I hope that you will contemplate, you'll take home. One is for 
all of us use this list as a maturity profile in our life, in your life. Look at this list. Look at 1 Timothy 3. Look at uh, 1 Peter 5. Look at the list and say, God, do I emulate anything in these lists that really show that I am a follower of Christ? Or is there things in this list that I should get rid of in my own life? Gene Getz, many, many years ago, wrote The Measure of a Man, and he particularly, in that good book, uh, believes that these qualities can help us measure the level of our own Christian maturity. And I believe he was right. Where are we at in our growth? Secondly, men, men particularly, actively pursue these noble and God-honoring characteristics. Be open if you're asked to serve in this important role of elder. 1 Timothy 3 plainly states, that's a good thing to desire to want to serve as an elder. It says the, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, pastor, shepherd, he, he desires a noble task. So, Look at these characteristics. Are they active in my life? Thirdly, respect your leaders. You've got to remember, um, every leader, he has a leader, she has a leader. But when it comes to the local church, respect your elders. And I'm going to stand up here and, and speak for myself. I pray, I, I trust, I actively seek to live a life that emulates these characteristics, so that your respect comes easy. That it becomes natural. Because what you see is not Alan, but you see Christ. And you know, if you don't see Christ in something I say or do, you have permission, granted, across the board, come and talk to me. Let's have a cup of coffee, because you know I love coffee. Sit down and let's talk about it. And you give me that privilege too as your pastor, your shepherd, your elder to sit down with you and say, how can I help you in this one area that I see is not alignment? That's called mutual, mutual care for one another. So respect your elders. First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13 says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the, in the Lord. In the Lord, that's the qualifier. And admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Respect your leaders. Fourth, submit to your leaders. Oh, I had so much trouble with this when I was young, you know, because I was a little bit arrogant. Some of you might know me when I was young. Maybe I was a lot arrogant. But what I found was hard to submit. Submission was always difficult. Submission is difficult in a marriage. Husbands and wives submitting one to another, wives submitting to the leadership of a husband, us submitting to one another in our roles. I just want to let you know, this is the way I look at it, and I think it's very clear in, in Scripture. If we look at the Trinity, we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Guess what? All equal, all absolutely equal, and their value to each other was absolutely equal, yet the Son was in submission to the Father. The Holy Spirit was in submission to the Son and to the Father. Submission is not an evil thing. It is a responsibility of role. 
Different roles do not equate to lesser value, but only to special callings. And so today, uh, I say, submit to your leaders as you understand that does not change your value. It only recognizes responsibility of a role. And it sure, surely will be blessed by God when that day comes with a well-done, good and faithful servant. Uh, if you want a scripture for this, that is really, I think, hits it home so well. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. I have to give an account one day. Your elders, your leaders have to give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. And I got to tell you this right now. It has been a joy to be your elder, your pastor. From day one, nothing but a joy. Challenges are great here at the bridge. We're growing. God is doing great things here. He's doing miraculous things here. To see all of you sitting in this room is, to me, amazing. That's all of God's work. And you have been a part of that, and you have given me, as your elder, your pastor, great joy. The last practical application, you know it already, and that is pray for your leaders. Isn't that true? We need to pray for each other, but... Would you pr continue to pray for myself, the other elders, Pastor Jonathan, uh, Pastor Rob? Would you pray for the staff team? You know, as Deb leads our children's ministry, a great thing. There are a ton of kids in there. I am so thankful that God did not bless me with the ministry to children. It takes a special person, and Deb is that special person. She loves your children. And she ministered to them daily. Pastor Jonathan loves your youth. Kathy, who is in charge of small groups, loves bridge groups and everyone in and desires to see them grow in maturity. So would you pray for this leadership team? Pray for Michelle as he administrates all the details of the church family. And you will be doing a wonderful thing for us all and for you, you as the church. All right. So that's, that's our little seminary class today. Lists of things that we really do need to know. I pray that as you've gone through this with me today, you'll understand how important it is to know that we are the church and that God has set up a structure to help the church grow in health and stay on mission. And as we do that, he'll get the glory. Let's pray. <coughs> Excuse me. Father, thank you for this day where we've been able to come together and worship you. We worship in song, we worship in prayer, we worship in the word. It is so wonderful to go into your word and discover clearly how we are to be the church, how we are to structure ourselves, and how we are to move forward with the grand mission, the great commission that you've given to each one of us. We pray that as we contemplate uh, this subject of eldership, leadership in the church, that we will continue to grow in strength in this area and more men will come on as elders, shepherds, and that we will be able to see our church family grow in spiritual health and, and in numbers to see more people come under the preaching and teaching of the gospel. 
Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.